Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 35. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 35. Of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise from my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, to his destruction. Then will my soul rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they do not speak peace, but against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say, we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 35 here ends with praise that the Lord delights in the welfare of his servant. Who is the servant of the Lord? Well, uh, the very next psalm will have the title, Of David, the Servant of the Lord. So who is the servant of the Lord? David, certainly. But as we're seeing in book one, that Davidic singular, when, when, there's that, when a psalm says of David and it's talking in the first person singular, we should hear this in the voice of David. 
when it says of David, some people think it just means, oh, well, it's by David. But if you just think of it as written by David, that doesn't quite get you to where you need to be. It's of David. It means that this is David's voice in the first person singular. And that's really important because, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first read this song, I'm sort of like, so how do I say this? Because it's much more complicated with me because I'm not quite this person. How do I fit this story? Well, our Lord Jesus in John 15 will take these words upon his own lips and say they hated me without cause. And Jesus will even teach us how to sing this song because Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. Uh, we've heard many times about how David is spoken of as the Lord's anointed, the Messiah. He's the anointed king. He's the son of God from Psalm 2, whom God set on his throne, the one who would begin to establish the kingdom of God. The kings of the earth should kiss the son, Psalm 2. But as Psalm 2 pointed out, instead the rulers of this age have conspired against him. And right in the middle of book one, we, we heard in, in Psalms 18 and 19, how Psalm 18 referred to David as the servant of the Lord, and Psalm 19 spoke twice of David as your servant. And so Psalm 35 is a song for the hated king, the despised servant of the Lord. And Jesus himself in John 15 says, they hated me without cause, quoting verse 19 of Psalm 35. And he tells us, that the world will hate us as well. Jesus calls us to sing this song with him. And it's, it's helpful to have Jesus' words on this because it can be hard to know how do we sing this. In this song, we, we ask God to bring destruction on those who seek to destroy us. But notice how, let the net that he hid ensnare him, let him fall into it to his destruction. When we're asking God to destroy the wicked, we're actually asking him, let the wicked destroy themselves. They're doing a fine job of it. Just could you please help them do what they're trying to do? Because we are not seeking to destroy them. We are not seeking to accomplish vengeance. Actually, what does David do for these people? He says that when they were sick, he was praying and fasting for their deliverance. We are... Better, perhaps, like Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what did Stephen do after he had heard Jesus saying those words? Well, when they come to stone Stephen, Stephen says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We long for our enemies to become our friends. But if they will not repent, if they insist on pursuing wickedness, then we ask God to let them fall into their own trap. That's, so th when we think about how does God execute vengeance, as we've often seen in the Psalms and throughout the Scriptures, God's justice is a poetic justice. The traps they lay for others, they'll fall into themselves. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Now, notice something about Jesus' comment here. In John 15, he says that this was spoken... This has happened to fulfill what was said in, in their law. They hated me without cause. And here Jesus is plainly speaking of the Jewish rulers in Jerusalem. Now, in Psalm 35, David is focusing on foreign rulers. So what's Jesus doing here? When he says, they hated me without cause, the they winds up being anyone who opposes the kingdom of Jesus. It's going to wind up being, if it's the Jewish rulers, if it's Gentile rulers, if it's anybody, anywhere, 
when he says they hated me without cause, he's taking, as we'll see with, when David's talking about, he's talking about foreign rulers around Israel. Jesus says, the rulers of Jerusalem have become foreign rulers because they don't know their own God. They have turned away from the very God they claim to serve because they didn't recognize Jesus. If they had known God, if they had known the Father, they would have known Jesus when he came. And so therefore, it's a, it's a, a, a thought in terms of in our own day, just because people claim to know God doesn't mean that they know God. And that's where too often it winds up happening, that Jesus, as Jesus says, if they hated me, if they listened to me, they'll listen to you. If they hate me, they'll hate you. And as we see, even in the first line of Psalm 35, David asks the Lord to contend with those who contend with me. And sure, in one sense, we'll, as we'll see, it's mostly foreign rulers he's dealing with here. But it winds up becoming anybody who is contending against the kingdom of Jesus. And that's where the first person singular is David and thus Jesus. And that's why we need to be careful as to how we take these words on our lips because it only works if we are actually seeking first the kingdom of Jesus. All of us, at one time or another, have wound up opposing the kingdom of Jesus because we're not seeking first his kingdom, we're seeking our own kingdoms. And when we seek our own kingdoms, we become those who are contending against the kingdom of Jesus. And that's not a good thing. But this, this language in verses 1 through 3 uh, it, it, part of it is because this is this is ancient warfare language. It doesn't even sound familiar. So uh, the message is a modern translation that tries to put things in in more modern lingo. So let me use this paraphrase from the from the message: Harass these hecklers, God! Punch these bullies in the nose! Grab a weapon, anything at hand, stand up for me. Get ready to throw the spear, aim the javelin at the people who are out to get me. Reassure me. Let me hear you say, I'll save you. Now, you start seeing that sort of language, and honestly, it reminds me of the way Monte McGill used to describe his gang-banging days. When the opposing gang shoots one of your guys, you gather the gang, grab your guns, and go looking for one of their guys. Now, I've, I've titled Psalm 35 a, a song for the hated king, but it could wind up being a a song for gangbangers, uh, a song for those who want revenge. Because quite frankly, the, you know, the impetus behind this song is exactly what motivates the gangbanger. They just killed my friend and so they deserve what's coming. They just disrespected us so they need to learn a lesson. Now, it was interesting hanging out with Monte and his, and his circle and uh, we've had some of our, our members were, were hanging out there too and there was somebody from Michiana Covenant who was describing his world, his very respectable world and was realizing it sounded just like the gangbangers. It's still fundamentally the same thing. Somebody does something we don't like so we get our people to shun, ignore, or talk against them. We generally don't use guns, we use words but Psalm 35 deals with that too. Psalm 35, however, does not say, so we're going to make them pay. Psalm 35 asks God to take care of it. Now, again, remember the first person singular here. Who's the singer of the psalm? 
David. Who's David? The king. If anybody in Israel would have the right to say, hey, this is my job, I'll take care of it, it would be David. But even David, the one who is tasked with bringing righteousness and justice to Israel, even David recognizes, I am not the sovereign king of the universe. He does not seek to take matters into his own hands. Actually, as we're going through the book of Samuel in the evening service, we'll see several times where you would think David would have the right to do something about this situation, but he chooses not to because he says, oh, this is just about me. And if it's about me, then I don't take vengeance. I rely on God. I am called as king to care for those who are under my charge. But if it's about me, that's not for me to deal with. And you'll see David do that over and over again throughout his life. Psalm 35 very much takes on, I mean, David lived this way. And, uh, yeah, and yes, you can think of a couple of examples where, but what about that? Exactly, that's where David gets in trouble when he starts saying, I can take care of this. How often do we get ourselves in trouble when we think, oh, I can take care of this. Only God can make things right. Only God can save. He seeks his vindication from God. Athanasius rightly told us how to sing this song. If enemies persist, now remember Athanasius is Bishop of Alexandria. He gets exiled several times in his life. So he, enemies persist, Athanasius knew all about this. If enemies persist with hands red with blood, try to drag you down and kill you, remember that God is the proper judge. For he alone is righteous, while that which is human is limited. And so, sing the words of Psalm 35. We must long to hear God say, I am your salvation. We are so often tempted to say, I can fix this. Don't worry, God, I can take care of this. It's like the young desert monk who came to his superior fuming about some slight, and the older monk said, ah, yes, I understand. Let us pray. Oh, God, we do not need you. We can take care of this ourselves. Amen. The young monk turned red in the face and humbled himself immediately. I was like, ah, I don't want to live in a world where we take vengeance. Because God alone is judge. Vengeance presupposes a world without God. And so we need to remember that as, as we sing the opening petition of verses 4 to 6, what do I want God to do? And he, he asks God, to let them be put to shame and dishonor. And ver verse 4 identifies, you might say, the targets of this prayer. Those who seek after my life. Those who devise evil against me. Verses 5 and 6 identify the agent of judgment as the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord will drive them away like chaff. Those who pursued me, who sought to destroy me, will now be pursued by the angel of the Lord. There are only two psalms that refer to the angel of the Lord Psalm 34, which we saw last time, and Psalm 35. Psalm 34, verse 7, said that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. And now in Psalm 35, we see how the angel of the Lord delivers his people. He delivers them by driving their foes away. 
Here, the, the angel of the Lord does what Psalm 1 had said about the wicked. The wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Uh, that the, the wicked are like the chaff that the, that the ruach, which is translated either wind or spirit. So, which the wind, which the spirit, is it the spirit of God that drives them away? Truly, as the wind blows the chaff, so also the angel of the Lord drives away those who devise evil against King Jesus. I'd like to encourage you to think about when you're looking at the world, whether, whether looking at the world in terms of nature, whether looking at the world in terms of history, look at the world the same way you look at Scripture. We recently saw all the haze from the Canadian wildfires. Smoke that came from a thousand miles away. Well, remember, that is the fate of those who hate the Lord Jesus. The, the chaff, like the smoke, yeah, it's blown away and it disappears. In a few months, we'll see another picture when you see those big piles of leaves piling up sucked up by trash trucks to decompose and rot. There again, you see the picture of what, what is the fate of those who oppose the Lord? Or the mountains of ice that you see all winter that melt in the spring thaw, never to be seen again. That's the picture of that which opposes God cannot endure. And verse 7 explains why they're worthless. For without cause... They hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. They had no reason for hating me. They had no reason to pursue me, to dig a pit or lay a snare. They hated me without cause. Jesus' words in John 15 help us understand this. The world hates Jesus because Jesus reveals the pride and folly of the world. We saw in Psalm 2 how the princes of the earth joined together, conspiring against the Lord and his anointed. When God reveals his righteousness from heaven, when God shows what true justice and holiness look like, the nations hate and despise that. Jesus did not say that they will hate you because of your political or social views. Jesus said they'll hate you, even they'll kill you, because they have not known the Father nor me. They hated me, Jesus says, without cause. Now let's be clear, they had their reasons, but their reasons had to do with their own wickedness. There was nothing in Jesus that should have provoked that hatred. And so David and Jesus pray in verse 8, let the destruction, let destruction come upon him when he does not know it, and let the net that he hid and snare him, let him fall into it to his own destruction. This is a crucial principle for understanding God's judgment. You sometimes hear people say, oh, you know, don't judge lest you be judged. Oh, right. Because that's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Uh, because then he, Matthew 7 verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Matthew 7 2, with the measure that you judge others, you yourself will be judged. You see, you can't escape some form of judging. If you think that you, by refusing to judge, you can escape judgment yourself, well, but if you refuse to judge righteously in a just cause, if you refuse to support the poor and innocent when they appeal for judgment, 
then you will be judged the same way. When you're in trouble, God will say, oh, well, you didn't help the, you didn't help the innocent when they were in need, so therefore I won't help you when you're in need. Is that what we want? The same Jesus who said, judge not lest you be judged, also said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with righteous judgment. We need to judge with right judgment because God will judge you with the same judgment that you judge others. If you lay traps and snares for others, then God will see to it that you fall into those same traps and snares. So how do you want God to treat you? That's how you should treat others. And we'll see this as we keep going through the song. Indeed, in verses 9 and 10, the psalmist shows how God himself is the pattern of just judgment. My soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. How should you judge others? You should deliver the poor from him who is too strong for him. You should rescue the poor and needy from the one who would rob him. Because that is what God is like. Thirteen psalms speak of the poor and needy, and we'll have three of them in this final section of book one. The, the regular pattern that scripture shows us is pretty simple. The rich and powerful have a tendency to use their wealth and power to protect their wealth and power. It's understandable. They got it. They want to keep it. And since people are very rarely content with their wealth and power, they also want to extend their wealth and power. And so they'll also seek to use their influence in order to allow them to extend theirs in ways that may wind up running over somebody else. And they're like, well, you know, that's just the cost of doing business. Well, if the little guy gets stepped on and crushed, then somebody needs to come to the defense of the little guy. And the king is supposed to be the protector of the little guy, the one who makes sure that the little guy does not get stepped on. And so in Psalm 35, David identifies with the poor and needy. I mean, notice how he sees himself as being the poor and needy in the situation that he's in. Even the king. And the king is supposed to be like this because God is like this. Who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? I mean, we may not have kings anymore, but the Apostle Peter says that emperors and governors are sent by God to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And it's worth noting that in our country, who's the sovereign power in the U.S.? We the people. So uh, who, gets, who gets the blame for how the poor are, are tra treated in the U.S.? Us. Because we're the ones who make decisions on who makes the decisions. So we're responsible. We may not like the outcome. We, may, we, we, can, we can say all we want. I didn't vote for that. It's still our decision. Because we are the ones who put the people in power. That's a problem. <laughs> now, our text doesn't give us detailed prescriptions for social programs. That requires wisdom, thoughtful discussion within our communities. But our text does say that David the king identifies with the poor in his own suffering and looks to the Lord as his example and pattern for how he deals with the poor. And that's where we turn to the central section of the psalm in verses 11 to 16 because David is, is sort of trapped in this situation. 
And he describes the particular situation in verses 11 to 14. There are malicious witnesses that are challenging him. Uh, Sounds something like a courtroom setting, but the challenger here is not a fellow Israelite. He's using actually the language of international diplomacy. We're just not used to it in the modern world. It sounds a little strange to his ears, but David's talking about foreign kings who are his brother kings, you might say. And he's, he's saying that he has fulfilled his treaty obligations. He has treated his fellow kings as brothers. And when his fellow kings, so the kings of, of Edom or Moab, or, uh, sort of, when, they were, when they were afflicted, when they were in trouble, when they were sick, he afflicted himself with fasting and grieved over the troubles of his brother kings. But that's not how they're treating him. When David stumbled, they seized the opportunity to attack. So... To put it simply, David is saying that he has demonstrated chesed, covenant loyalty, faithfulness to his brother kings, and they have not. He sympathized with them when they were weak. He did not take advantage of their troubles. He treated them as brothers. But they, verse 15, at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Now, Fine, we're not kings, but we've all had those situations where there's been people talking. And you ever had a situation that you just couldn't stop thinking about, that just kept spinning through your head, and it just kept eating at you? I mean, this is the language. They, like profane mockers, they gnash at me with their teeth. And so often, it's easy to think. Why are they treating me like this? Well, that's that's where David was. You can see why our Lord Jesus sang this song on the night he was betrayed. After all, he who was the creator had become one of his creatures. He who gave the law became one under his own law. The eternal Son of God took our flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Thou who wast rich beyond all measure, all for our sakes, becamest poor. And this was how we treated him. And so after he describes his situation, the psalmist returns to prayer in verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Previous psalms have pled with God to speak, because when God speaks, he does something. Here, he simply says, how long will you watch? How, how long will you simply look on? How long will you watch my misery? And yet, even in his pleading with God, he still has confidence. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng. I will praise you. Remember our Lord Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. We are not called simply to endure suffering and misery for the sake of being miserable. No, there is a joy set before us, no less than before Jesus It's the same joy that was set before him because it's the same cross. Our lives, our stories are joined to the life and death of Jesus. The cross of Jesus, just as much as his resurrection, become ours as we are baptized into his death so that we might also share his resurrection life. And so we finally come in verse 19 to the the verse that Jesus quoted in John 15. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. For they, they do not speak peace. 
They do not speak shalom. And we'll hear in a minute how important shalom is to God. But the enemies of the cross take pleasure in despoiling the poor. In They're against those who are quiet in the land. Notice verses 19 to 21 open and close with the image of the eye seeing. And then in the middle the focus is on words, speaking, mouths. Because seeing leads to speaking. What you see leads to what you say. And David is sure hoping that that's going to be the case for God. You have seen, O Lord, verse 22, be not silent. Please speak, O Lord. If God is silent, then I am dead. We saw that in Psalm 28 a few weeks ago. But here the the focus turns to David's plea for vindication. I need God to make things right. Now, think about David's way of trusting in the Lord in times of trouble. When trouble comes, when you're in the midst of difficulty, what do you want when everything seems to be collapsing around you? Maybe you're angry. Maybe you want revenge. Maybe you're you're, you're frustrated and you just want the situation to go away. Maybe you're depressed. And you don't think anything is ever going to change. You need to hear what David is saying here. What are you asking for? What are you asking God to do? Are you focusing on on things, situations, people, relationships? Augustine says it best. Nothing more precious will you find... Nothing better than him who made them all. Ask for him who made them. In him and from him, you will have everything he has made. They are all precious. The things, people, situations, relationships, all good things, all precious things that God made. But when we're focused on them, we lose sight of When we focus on the horizontal, everything goes sideways. Of course it does. That's the direction we're focused. But Augustine says, they are all precious because they are all beautiful. But what is more beautiful than he? They are strong, but what is stronger than he? And what he wants most of all to give you is himself. If you have discovered anything better, ask for it. But if you do ask for anything else, you will be insulting him and inflicting loss on yourself because you will be esteeming something he has made more highly than its maker, even though the maker wants to give you himself. We keep chasing after all these sideways things. But verse 22 says, You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Is that what you want? Is that what you need? I need my God to be near me. I need to be near to my God. This is why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because we didn't want Him. We didn't think we needed Him. But this is also what we need. And this is why they hated him. 
because they didn't know him. They didn't want to be near him. But then when David prays for God's nearness, for God's presence, for God to be with him, then he turns to those around him. And in verses 26 and 27, he speaks of the two results of his prayer for all humanity. After all, our Lord Jesus is the one who took these words into his mouth. There are two options for all of humanity. All of humanity is heading for one or the other of these results. Verse 26 speaks of those who hate me without cause. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. If you rejoice in bad things happening to Jesus and his kingdom, then you will be put to shame and disappointed altogether because the kingdom of Jesus will prevail. If you magnify yourself against Jesus, if you reject his glorious kingdom, if you prefer your pathetic little kingdom of one, then Jesus will give you what you want. He will give you your pathetic little kingdom of one. There is one place where you can be utterly and totally safe from the love of God. It's called hell. Utter isolation from God forever. And that's what some people want. They don't want God. And God says, okay, I will give you what you want. It's not that God does something horrible to them. They take the horrible thing for themselves because that's what they want. And that's scary. But verse 27 says, Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare, in the shalom, the peace of his servant. These last verses overflow with delight, joy, and praise, and righteousness. David refers to his, his righteousness in verse 27. What was his righteousness? Well, when his fellow kings had been suffering, he sought to heal and bind up the wounds of his neighbors through prayer and fasting. He interceded even for those who hated him. And now they're trying to ruin him. And so David says, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad because great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. The Lord delights in the welfare, the shalom, the peace of his servant. And because God delights in the peace of Jesus and the well-being of Jesus, therefore he delights in the peace of all those who believe in the name of his son. Shalom is going to play a major role in the last few psalms of book one. It's only used three times in, in all the previous parts, of the, but it is, it'll be used seven times here at the end of book one because book one is heading towards the conclusion of peace, the conclusion of shalom, well-being, when things return to the way God intended them to be. The, the shalom, the peace of his kingdom. And so David says in verse 28, Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. Because God delights in our peace, in our well-being, therefore we should delight in talking about him. We talk about the things that matter most to us. 
And when the peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we then speak of his righteousness because he is the one who in, in Jesus has begun to bring about his kingdom. So let's ask him to continue this. Lord, have mercy and grant that those who oppose your kingdom would be put to shame. And Lord, we pray that that they would see the, the, the foolishness of their ways, that they would be like Saul of Tarsus, who, whom you called to be your servant, Paul the Apostle. May, may, they, may they turn from being enemies to be, being friends, that they might come to know the Lord Jesus. And Lord, help us to love them the way that you have loved us, that we might not... Uh, be seeking vengeance for ourselves, but rather that we might be seeking the righteousness of your kingdom, that we might seek to show forth your righteousness before the watching world as we show your, your kindness to those who are poor and oppressed, to those who are afflicted, to those who are in need. Lord, have mercy and grant that, that as we live as your servants, that we might have confidence that that you will do all your holy will. So help us to draw near to you. And oh Lord, please have mercy and draw near to us and be near us in the midst of our afflictions that we may have confidence that you will continue your work until the coming of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.